0: Harriet was trying very hard to write. She loved her writing room with the large fireplace and its view on Federal Street with the afternoon sun streaming in through the gridded windows, but distractions had dominated her day. It seemed that every time she sat down to write, there was a delivery that needed receiving, a baby that needed nursing, or a chowder that needed cooking. The plain business of being a person had distracted her from putting pen to paper on her latest book all day. A book that she believed she had been commanded to write. By God. This is 1,000 Words, written and produced by Michael DeWatley, a podcast dedicated to examining the world that art has made. And Harriet was more than a little nervous because it was Saturday. Saturdays for Harriet had become equal parts performance and critique since she had started welcoming guests to 63 Federal Street, the house that she shared with her husband and six children. She worked quickly to wrap up the last few sentences in her latest chapter. She could do with a little more time before the sun set and her audience appeared. In a few hours, her home would be full of people ready to listen to Harriet reading aloud the words she'd been writing about Eliza, Eva, Simon, and Tom. They had been coming regularly on Saturday evenings to drink coffee and eat apples, listen to Harriet tell the story that had been spinning in her mind. At first, a small group, the audience had grown with some of her husband's favorite students, like the always-smiling Joshua Chamberlain. The evenings had gotten almost too crowded for the house. She needed to make sure she had something worth sharing with them, because a few months before, as she'd been sitting in the Brunswick First Parish Church, she looked up from communion, and instead of seeing Christ on the cross or the familiar Gothic architecture of the sanctuary, she had had a vision. A vision of an enslaved person being viciously whipped. She knew such scenes existed in her country, had them described to her in the past by runaway people on the Underground Railroad, but the visceral experience of seeing it, even if only in the divinely enhanced realm of her imagination, drove her to tears. She had wept and written and written and wept, as though the words were being whispered into her ear by the voice of God. As she neared the close of the book, though, her writing had begun to slow. A few days from that Saturday, Harriet would hear back from her editor at the National Era, Dr. Bailey, and she was hoping for good news. In the weeks since Uncle Tom's cabin had been served up in chapters through that paper, there had not been much acclaim or excitement about her work, and she needed this book to be read, because a year before, she and her husband had welcomed John Andrew Jackson into their home, John Andrew Jackson had hidden himself in a five-by-three-foot box to get to Boston and his escape from enslavement on a Georgia plantation and somehow managed to find his way onto their doorstep. She listened to his story and saw the scars on his back and provided a place of refuge on his way further north. But her book seemed like a larger legacy, a more powerful lever upon which to even out the injustices he had suffered. She didn't know that in a few months that lever would be so effective that her book would sell more copies than any other book in the entire 19th century except the Bible. She didn't know that the book would sell over four times as many copies in the United Kingdom as it did in the United States which would turn British public opinion so far away from the South that the Confederacy, which didn't yet exist, would not be able to count on the one foreign ally who might have saved them. She didn't know that her writing would inspire dozens of other Tom books looking to mimic and undo the work that she had done to expose the reality of slavery. She didn't know some of those books would be written using her own characters' names, and that at least one of them would be written by a woman she knew personally. A friend. She didn't know that she'd be sent hate mail and death threats and a package from a plantation owner that just contained the ear of an enslaved person. She didn't know those things, but she kept writing anyway, because 18 months before that Saturday night, her child had died, and something had broken in her. In the separation between herself and her son Charlie, she imagined the loss felt between enslaved families who had been broken by the whip and the auction block. She kept writing, but she didn't know in a decade she'd meet Abraham Lincoln, someone she didn't know of on that Saturday night. And he may or may not have greeted her by saying, so this is the little woman who wrote the little book that started this great war. A war that young Joshua Chamberlain would join, marching from that same college in Maine across battlefields at Antietam and Fredericksburg to lead a bayonet charge at Gettysburg that may have been the turning point in the battle that was the turning point of the war. She didn't know that soon thereafter she would dance in the street as slavery ended, or that at least the government no longer legally allowed human beings to own other human beings. Which was something, because three years before that Saturday night, Josiah Henson had published his own account of his life on a Maryland plantation through his escape and journey to freedom in Ontario, and white folks had not been so captivated by it. But Harriet read it over and over, and used it as the inspiration for her own, much more popular book. After all, this is America, where a white woman's fiction was and is infinitely more valuable than a black man's truth. Because people had been working for abolition since slavery arrived in America in 1619, and most of those abolitionists had been enslaved themselves. This story doesn't end on that Saturday night. It doesn't end in a lovely colonial home in New Brunswick with students gathered around a woman who may or may not have been inspired by God to write a book that may or may not have inspired a war that may or may not, but definitely was, about the enslavement of African Americans this story didn't begin with Harriet, or John Andrew Jackson, or even Josiah Henson, and it doesn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation or Appomattox. It's a story that continues even now. A story that we are all a part of. And I think Harriet Beecher Stowe knew that. Maybe that's why at the end of her life, as her mind began to betray her and plaques and tangles clouded some of the 100 billion neurons in her brain, she started writing Uncle Tom's Cabin again. Not in her house in Maine, but in her home in Connecticut, and not in 1851, but in 1888. She took up pen and paper once more, transcribing the book anew, some passages word for word. And maybe she didn't know what she was doing or why, or maybe she knew that slavery had not ended in many real ways. Maybe she knew her country had not finished the race it intended, and that it needed to start running again. Maybe her last image to us should not be a decayed mind hanging on to past glory, but the dedicated, iron resolve of a woman doing what she could to share a powerful, heartbreaking, world-changing story. After all, Saturday night is coming, and people will be waiting. This has been One Thousand Words. If you like what you heard, please do me a favor and like, subscribe, and review this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Believe me, it does a tremendous amount of good for the show. This podcast comes to you from the weird and wonderful city of Austin, Texas. Music from this podcast came from purpleplanet.com. Thanks for listening.